0: All right, so uh, we, are seven, uh, we are in a seven-week series called I Am. And I Am is a name that God gave himself in the book of Exodus chapter three, when Moses asked the Lord, who should I tell the Israelites sent uh, me to deliver them from slavery? And God answers them in Exodus three by saying, say this to the people of Israel, I Am has sent me to you. Centuries later, Jesus, the Son of God, would use that exact same name to describe himself to his disciples. As a matter of fact, throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus makes seven distinct statements using those words, I am. And each statement gives us a a clue as to who Jesus is and why he came. Now, if you are here last week, we looked at that first I am statement from Jesus where he revealed that he is the bread of life, meaning that he is the only thing that truly satisfies the cravings of our soul. If we hunger for anything else in this world, if we thirst for anything else other than Jesus Christ and his righteousness, our souls will always be hungry and thirsty. Today, we're going to look at the second I am statement from Jesus. And it's really one of the, the most well-known, and it's this, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. So let me ask a question to, to start us off. How many of you, uh, when you were a kid, were afraid of the dark? Raise your hand. Okay. Now, how many of you, as a grown-up, would say, I- I'm still afraid of the dark? Okay. That, that's kind of where I'm at, honestly. I don't like sleeping in a pitch-dark room. Okay. Now, I know some of you do. And I just think that's very risky, you know? I think there's some risk involved. I mean, if I hear a noise at night, I wanna just be able to at least make out what's about to, to eat me, okay? I wanna know what's coming after me, okay? And, and so for those of you who are still a little scared of the dark, a little bit of light can change everything, am I right? Uh, maybe it's a night light in the hallway or bathroom light on throughout the night. And when there's just a little bit of light, all of a sudden, the dark doesn't seem so dark. All throughout Scripture, we see light contrasted with dark. In some, in some of the very first verses, in the very first book of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, God said, Let there be light. And there was light. One of the first recorded things we see from God is when he separated light from the darkness. And from that point forward, all through the Bible, God is referred to as light in places like Psalm 27, 1, where David said, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear?" Or in 1 John 1, 7, when it says, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And then all the way at the very last book of the Bible, Revelation 21, in a description of heaven, it says, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it Light And its lamp is the lamb. So all, all throughout the Bible, literally, God is referred to as light. And then on the opposite side of that, our spiritual enemy, Satan, is referred to as the prince of darkness. And so we clearly see a stark contrast between God and Satan, good and evil, life and death, light and darkness. And when Jesus came into the world, the son of God, he took on the very same characteristics as his heavenly father. And one of those characteristics was light. And that is where, what we see in our passage today in John chapter eight, beginning in verse 12. Jesus here stands in the temple court before the religious leaders. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of the world. Of life. Now, let me give you a little bit of background here because it's important. The context is important for this story. At the time of this passage, Jesus was in Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles, or what's sometimes called the Feast of Booths, which was a festival commemorating when the Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and had no permanent home or permanent dwelling. They only lived in in tents or booths. And even today, when Christians celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, many of them will actually sleep outside under the stars in in a tent or a minimal dwelling as a reminder of God's deliverance of his people and also as a reminder of Christ's deliverance from sin. Now, in Jesus's day, a part of that feast every year was a ceremony where the Jews would light these four huge candle abras, or what we know as menorahs. And they would light these things in one of the temple courts, okay? And it would, it would illuminate the, attempt, the temple court. And this lighting of the menorah, it memorialized something. It memorialized the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night that protected and guided the Israelites when they wandered in the wilderness, Lighting the menorahs was a graphic symbol of the fact that God was truly the light for his people. And so when Jesus makes this statement, I am the light of the world, many scholars believe that it was probably during the Feast of Tabernacles or certainly soon after it, when the spectacle of lighting these huge menorahs in the temple would still be fresh in the mind of the religious leaders. And even though there were many references in the law and in the prophets that the Messiah would be the light of the world, what we're going to see today is that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, did not recognize Jesus as the light, proving that the darkness had blinded them from the light of truth. You see, something we need to understand, Jesus not only gives light to all those who follow him, but he is the source of light by which we see everything. And if someone chooses to reject Jesus, if someone refuses to know him as the light of the world, what they're really doing is choosing to walk in darkness. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Just as there can be no physical life without the light of the sun, there can be no spiritual life without the light of Christ. And that's exactly what we see from the Pharisees, the religious leaders in the next few verses. Instead of embracing Jesus as the light, they reject him and then they challenge his authority. Look at verse 13. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. So the religious leaders are are trying to discredit Jesus based on his testimony of who he is. Basically, they're saying, look, you're making this claim that you are the light of the world. But the only problem is you're the one claiming it for yourself. How can we believe something that only you claim? So essentially, the Pharisees are are arguing that Jesus's testimony about who he is is not enough, that that it doesn't hold water. and, And their argument was based on this particular law found in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 19. I want to read it for you. It says, "...a single witness," that means one witness, "...shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed." Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. And so even though this verse has nothing to do with Jesus, it's talking about wrongdoing, they use this this law, they leverage this law to to say to Jesus, your single witness about yourself is not enough. Okay, This is the same thing we did as kids when someone, one of our peers would look at us and say, I bet I can jump higher than you but I can run faster than you. Remember what we would say? Oh yeah? Prove it. Prove it. That's essentially what the Pharisees are saying here. Your testimony is not enough. So you're going to have to prove who you are. And so in the next few verses, Jesus gives three reasons why his testimony was enough and that his testimony is still enough. Okay, here's the first one. Jesus has true knowledge. And when I say true knowledge, I'm talking about a sovereign kind of knowledge. Look at verse 14. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. And here's the important words. For I know, I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. In this passage, Jesus begins to reveal the darkness that the Pharisees are walking in. He says, you have no real knowledge. You you don't have true understanding. Your your knowledge is clouded. Your your understanding is, is toxic because you don't even know who I am. And you don't know where I'm going. And so Jesus, on the other hand, he reveals in his sovereignty, he knows his true origin and he knows where he's going, which he, means, which he means reigning at the right hand of the father. And because of his sovereign knowledge, Jesus proves to the Pharisees that his testimony is enough. But he goes on from there to another reason. The second reason, Jesus has true judgment. Verses fifteen and sixteen, he says, You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I the Father who but I and the Father who sent me. Because the Pharisees walked in darkness, the Pharisees judged blindly. That's to say they they judged by the flesh, by what they saw when they looked at Jesus rather than really truly seeking to understand who he was, to understand the heart of who he was. And look, we need to just pause right there for just a moment because there's an important warning in that for us. I think if we're honest this morning, we could all say that we're guilty of judging too harshly sometimes, too quickly, maybe based on appearance, maybe based on our own biases or or whatever popular opinion might be. But a chapter before our passage in John 7, Jesus said this to the Pharisees. He said, look beneath the surface so that you can judge correctly. In other words, don't judge someone simply based on the outward appearance or what you see. You see, that's how the world judges people. As followers of Christ, we're to be different. We're to try to understand and look at a person's heart try to get to know the heart of someone, extend some grace before casting any kind of judgment. I think Mother Teresa said it best when she said this, if all you do is judge people, you won't have time to love people. That's the message of Jesus. In contrast to the blind judgment of the Pharisees who judged just based on what they saw, Jesus said, he judges no one. Now that's actually consistent with what John wrote in John chapter three, when he said God sent his son into the world, not to what judge the world, but to save the world through him. Now the word tells us there will come a day when Jesus will judge all men. But what he's saying, it's not in this moment. That's why Jesus said, I judge no one, meaning he doesn't judge anyone during his earthly ministry. The true judgment of Christ comes later at the end of days when all men must stand before Christ and they must give an account for who he is and what they did with him on this earth. That judgment is a true kind of judgment. It is a true judgment of the heart. And so Jesus says, my knowledge is true, my judgment is true. These two things make my testimony true. But there's a third thing, and that is the Father is a true witness. The Father is a true witness. Look at verses 17 and 18. In, in your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me also. Jesus' testimony as the light of the world was enough because God the Father was a witness of God the Son. And with this statement, Jesus answered the Pharisees' accusation from Deuteronomy 19 regarding two or more witnesses. Both God the Son, God the Father stand as witnesses that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Okay, most of you know that I have have three kids. And two of those are sons, okay? So those of you who have raised boys before, you know boys can get into some stuff. Right? I mean, they can just get into things. You turn your back for just a moment, okay? They can destroy the whole house. Okay, so there's been some, some times when <clears throat> something went wrong in the house, something was broken or missing or whatnot, and I would <clears throat> put one of my sons on the hot seat, right? And I would interrogate him basically. You know, how did this happen? What were you doing? What were you thinking? And I'll just keep asking questions. I feel like I get at least most of the story. And then what do I do? I look at his brother and I'll say, is that how it happened? Now, sometimes his brother will be like, absolutely not. Not even close. He is lying. <laughs> sometimes he'll be like, "Ah, oh, well, yeah, kind of. Maybe he left out some things, but yeah, that's kind of how it happened. But then sometimes brother will say, yes, that's exactly how it happened. I was there. I saw the whole thing. I know how it went down. And that's exactly what happened. You see, there's, there's power in a witness, right? There's power, Especially if you're being accused of something or someone's trying to get information out of you about something that you did or were involved in, man, a witness, someone who was there, someone who saw what happened or saw how things played out can be so powerful. And that's basically what Jesus is saying here. He says, my father, my heavenly father is a witness to who I am, that I am the light of the world. And so Jesus' true knowledge, his true judgment, and the father as his true witness was three very important reasons why his testimony was enough. But even with all that evidence, even with all that foundation, the Pharisees continued to challenge Jesus. Look at verse 19. They said to him, where is your father? Jesus answered, do you know neither me, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because the hour had not yet come. Now, why, why is that in there? I'll tell you why. Because the words that Jesus spoke, saying that he is the light of the world, saying that he was the son of God, Those words were enough to get him arrested in that moment and to put into prison, even to be killed. But what we see here is the invisible, sovereign hand of God that no one came forward to arrest Jesus. You know why? Because it says his time had not yet come. I I hope that might bring some hope to some of you who are in a situation and you're waiting for a certain outcome or maybe you're praying for a certain outcome, you're wondering what the future might hold, I want you to know that this this little verse, this, this singular verse reveals to us that the will of God will always be accomplished. That nothing, nothing can prevent the purposes of God from coming about. If he wants it to happen in your life, in your situation, it will happen. And nothing can stop that. Do you believe that? Amen. That's what it shows us. Until the appointed time comes, God will have his will will be accomplished. Verses 21. Here comes a strong reply from Jesus. So he said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. How about that? Where I'm going, you cannot come. And so the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. Now, you have to actually read those questions with a little bit of sarcasm. And I know some of you have the spiritual gift of sarcasm. So this is going to be easy for you. Okay. You have to have a little sarcasm. Remember, the Pharisees are not seeking to know the heart of Christ. They're trying to trap him. And so when they ask, will he kill himself? because he says we can't go where he's going, that was kind of mockery toward Jesus. The Pharisees believed that that killing oneself or or suicide sent someone to the deepest places of hell. And so mockingly, they say to Jesus, of course we can't go where you're going because you're going to the deepest, darkest pit of hell. You see, another example here that the Pharisees were deceived regarding themselves as good and and godly men who would never be cast out of heaven, much less sent to hell. But I want you to listen to the rebuke that Jesus gives the Pharisees in verse 23. He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Jesus had a way with words, didn't he? What he's saying here, all the assumptions that you've made about yourself, that you're good enough, that you're righteous enough on your own, that you're smart enough, all those things are wrong. You are blind and you don't even realize it. You're walking in darkness and you don't even understand where the true light is. Verse 24, I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the father. And so Jesus deals with these religious leaders in their blindness. He says, because you're living in darkness, you, you are not even aware of the bondage that you're living in. And, and these aren't words of anger or condemnation from Jesus. He's not just trying to be mean. This is an earnest plea on the part of Jesus, not just to the Pharisees, but even to us today, that, that you are going to die. Everybody is going to die. Unless Jesus comes again for his church, we will all taste death and you will die in your sins unless you open up your eyes, open up your heart to see that Jesus is truly the light of the world. This is not a message of condemnation. This is not a a message uh, uh, of shame or guilt. This is really a message of hope. If you're taking notes, write this down. Darkness is the only option when both the mind and the eyes are closed to Jesus Christ. And that's what happened with the Pharisees. Actually, John has to record that the Pharisees did not understand what he was saying. that They didn't get it. They were blinded by their own arrogance and pride. Their minds were blocked from understanding. Spiritual darkness had blinded their eyes. And if this story ended right there, Man, this would be a sad, heavy passage. It it is, but the good news is it doesn't end right there. Look at our last couple of verses, 28 and 30. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And look at verse 30. Here's the hope in this story. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Many believed in him. When Jesus referred to being lifted up, the son of man being lifted up, he was referring to the cross. And he said to these men, to this crowd, he said, when you see me, lift it up. Then you will know that I am who I said that I am, that I am the light of the world. And as Jesus makes that statement, John specifically records that many believed. Many believed. Do you remember where you were when you first believed. Maybe it was just a moment in time. Maybe you were a child. You heard the story of how Christ was lifted up on the cross, how he died for you, how he was laid in a borrowed tomb, but rose and now he's alive today, the risen Christ. And maybe in that one moment you believed for the first time. Maybe for others, it's been a working out of your salvation Strengthening that belief, deepening that belief. Maybe there was a time when you believed when, you're <clears throat> when you were younger, but you walked away from that belief for a season, did your own thing, walked in the darkness. <clears throat> but now here you are today, reaffirming your belief, reestablishing who you know Christ to be. You see, that's the hope of all of our stories that we came to a point where we believed. It's different for everyone. We're all on the same journey, just in different places. But at some point in that journey, we have to come to the point that we believe that Christ is indeed the light of the world. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he is the one who shines light into the darkness, not just the darkness of this world, but also the darkest places of our heart, things that we try to hide and cover up, things that create shame in us. Christ has a power to shine light into the darkest places of our life. And when those things are exposed, they lose power. There's some things that grow in darkness. Sin is one of those things. But when the light of Christ exposes those areas of sin, they lose their power. Do you believe that Christ can do that for you? Do you believe that he is the one that leads us from death to life, from darkness to light? Do you believe that if you walk in the light as he is in the light, that you can know him, have fellowship with him, the Bible says, and he'll cleanse you from all Unrighteousness. Today, if you're here, you're listening, and you've not opened your heart, your mind, your eyes to Jesus, you don't have to continue to walk in darkness. You don't have to continue to walk trying to to use your own understanding, your own knowledge, your own pride. It's not necessary. The Bible talks about it as a surrender that we just surrender to Christ. Really, what that means is we believe that Jesus is who he said he is and that he did for us on the cross and through the empty tomb what he said he did. And when we believe that, believe, I mean, truly believe that and put the whole weight of our life and our faith in Jesus, the Bible says we don't have to walk in darkness anymore. We don't have to walk on our own power. We don't have to try to walk in our own knowledge. But we can walk in the light of Christ. And so if you haven't surrendered to Jesus, open your heart to him, open your eyes to him. Come to Jesus because he wants to know you today.